0: You are listening to The Next Best Picture Podcast, and this is our review of Hamilton.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show.
0: All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for Hamilton, and the story is as follows. Divided into two acts, the musical depicts the life and career of Alexander Hamilton, an immigrant from the Caribbean island of Nevis. The first act covers Hamilton's arrival in New York City in 1776, his work as an isle de camp to General George Washington during the American Revolution, and how he met and married Eliza Schuyler. The second act covers Hamilton's post-war work as the first U.S. Secretary of the Treasury and his death in a duel with Aaron Burr. Uh, the film, in this case, is starring Lin-Manuel Miranda, Leslie Odom Jr., Philip Sue, Renee Elise Goldsberry, Christopher Jackson, David Diggs, Anthony Ramos, and Jonathan Groff. It is directed by Tommy Kail, written by Lin-Manuel Miranda. Joining me for this podcast, I have Michael Schwartz. Happy to be in the room where it happens. Also, Dan Baer. I'm not willing to wait for it. Lauren LaMagna. Totally in the room where it happened. And Tom O'Brien. Work. <laughs> and I am also here as well, uh, reviewing a musical. What? But I'm not going to throw away my shot to talk about Hamilton here today on the Fourth of July. Happy <laughs> Fourth, everybody! <laughs> Yay! What a time to be alive right now. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna stop with the puns. I, I promise. <laughs> um, we all we all should probably stop with the with the puns actually. But um, in all seriousness. We're talking about a cultural phenomenon. We're talking about a groundbreaking uh, musical. The Next Best Theater team, three members of whom are present here, uh, did a great, great podcast a couple of days ago uh, talking about uh, the show itself. Little did they know that they would be back on a second podcast this week to talk about it all over again. Uh, but in this time, in film form, here currently streaming on Disney Plus. This was originally supposed to be released in theaters, probably as like part of like a Fathom Events type of thing, uh,
2: sometime in October. But was no matter. It was going to be a full on theatrical. It was going to be playing for weeks, like anything. Yeah, yeah. we'll call it, we'll call it what it, what
0: what it, what it is, you know. It's a it's not a it's not like In the Heights, uh which is supposed to come out next year or like The Mamma Mia movie or a, any other adaptation of a musical to film. It's a performance that they did in New York in the summer of 2016, I believe, with the original cast. And was filmed and edited, and then they also had um, a closed theater with no audience at this way. They could get on stage to do some close-ups, uh, to really immerse us more in the theatricality of it all for this cinematic uh, event. So we're here to talk about it in that form uh, here today. Obviously, uh, we'll talk about the show here, but I want to... I know, I know people are probably very familiar with Hamilton by this point, uh, after years of listening to the show um, and the original cast recording. But I do want to avoid talking about spoilers, if at all possible, because I really do believe that this is something that everybody should experience. And if you can't experience it on Broadway, which, let's face it, in reality, you can't right now because of the pandemic, uh, you really should stop this stop this podcast right now and go watch this on disney plus then come back and listen to us i highly highly urge you to do so because uh hamilton is it's it's a life-changing experience i think uh, for many people because it's not just one thing it's many things rolled into one i am so super excited to talk about it i'm actually going to first start off here uh with Tom, uh, a member, uh, someone that's not a member of the next best theater team. I want to hear uh, from Tom first. What did you think of Hamilton, the 2020 film for Disney Plus?
1: Well, I was very, very lucky because I was able to see the show, the, this show on Broadway, nine months before this film. Wow! So it, it it had began previews in July. It opened in August, and I got to see it in September. And my, I, I, it, I just, my jaw dropped when I saw it. And I couldn't stop talking about it to people who said, oh, God, he's talking about Hamilton again. But it is a remarkable piece. Um, having seen it before and having lived with it with the music over the last five years, I kind of focused on the filmmaking itself, uh, Tommy Kale's direction. I've seen a lot of filmed the theater over the years, thanks to the good folks at National Theater Live and some fathom event, events of musicals that were filmed in London. Um, but this by far and away is the best capturing of any show I've ever seen. Uh, Kale has an unerring sense of where to put the camera, how close, how far away at any given moment Every single choice in this directorial choice is perfect, and it it provides the close-ups, particularly, an extra experience for someone who's only seen it from, you know, twentieth row center. You get to see Jonathan Groff spit in all of its glory. Who had Groff for that? But uh, you know, this is a it, these uh, actors provide extremely subtle performances. And I was so much more impressed seeing them up close and what they do. Just a raised eyebrow, a turn of a, turn of a head. It's small things, but did so much to really uh, deepen their characters. Uh, it's, it was an experience on stage and seeing the film, it was an experience again, and I'm so happy. We can look at it whenever we feel down and uh, really enjoy mm. uh, the genius of uh, Limel Milo Miranda. All right.
0: Check one in the satisfied column over here for Tom O'Brien. <laughs> <laughs> Next, let's hear from Lauren. Lauren, uh, thoughts on the Hamilton film?
3: I thought Hamilton was really good, like Tom. I have experience with filmed productions. Just as the theater fan myself, you can't get tickets to see every show you want. That's just not economically possible. So I've had my experience seeing different types of filmed productions where, you know, it's literally stick a camera in front of the stage and just film them where there's then there's filmed concerts, then there's, you know, casting actors just for a film stage. And then I also saw, you know, the occasional legal bootleg because, you know, you got to do what you got to do to see what you want to see, <laughs> <laughs> and, which I'm all fine with. And I all love them. And so there are different versions of the film performance. So I was interesting to see what type of version that would be, and I was really excited to see that this was the most cinematic filmed production of a show that I've seen. It's still a show. I will always consider this Hamilton, the stage show, this the 2016 original Broadway cast show, but I really did like how the camera did get up close and personal, and the actors were aware of it. They knew they were performing for the camera not for the camera plus the audience especially for those close-ups which you can tell when that's not the case when it's a no film production and there is this grand audience in the arena so you're balancing two different things these actors knew they were playing at the camera and you saw changes in those performances because they knew how to translate it and I think that's amazing and I'm really really glad that um Lynn and the entire creative company of Hamilton and Disney were able to capture this cast and this cultural phenomenon on film so we can revisit this over and over again. Because, again, it's not common and it's very rare when a Broadway musical reaches the social stratosphere and becomes a cultural hit and everyone of everyone knows it not just the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut theater world and the fact that everyone talks about it and knows these faces now is pretty astonishing. So I'm really happy that someone caught this on camera and now we have it forever.
0: Absolutely. Definitely. Dan bear.
4: Well, I like everyone else who's spoken so far, I had experience with Hamilton seeing it live in the past. Um, And when I was watching this film version, I, as much as I was just like happy to see it again, I was also really trying to think about it, like in terms of how they filmed it. and i I don't know that I'd agree with Tom in saying that it's perfect, but they did about as good a job as I think they possibly could. And it's it's just stunning. it it, it didn't take my breath away like it did when I saw it on Broadway, but that's probably just because I knew what was coming and I could like feel myself getting giddy with anticipation for certain moments. And I was really pleased to say that the, um, the filming of it did not let me down uh, in most of those instances. And, you know, Hamilton, the show is what it is. And it's a, it's a, Truly heartbreaking work of staggering genius to coin a phrase, and the performances are magnificent. And like Lauren said, the the way that they the performers have recalibrated their performances for the camera is absolutely incredible. And I'm so glad that this film exists.
2: All right. Okay. And Michael. You know, as it exists as a property, I think Hamilton is one of the greatest pieces of art to ever grace the stage. And yeah. like everyone else who has talked so far, I was lucky to have seen it you know, on stage. And it was one of the most magnificent experiences I've ever had in the theater. So being able to then see it with this original Broadway cast, who I'd only really known through the album and clips. I didn't see them at the time that I saw it on Broadway. Seeing that lightning in a bottle captured forever it was as thrilling as it was seeing it live on stage. For me, it was like reliving that same magic. And for me, nothing captures the same energy as being in a theater and the energy that you get just seeing people on stage. But the cinematic elements here that were applied by Tommy Kail and his team just went such a long way in creating this and being a rich experience. I was thrilled from beginning to end. I had seen it before, but it felt all fresh and new. And I will probably be watching it more than once this holiday weekend.
4: Oh, I definitely have already watched it more than once myself.
2: (laughs) Okay, everyone. Wait for
0: it. Wait for it. This was my first experience with Hamilton ever. I had never heard the cast album prior to this viewing. I had not seen the show prior to this viewing, even when the cast album got played uh, at like my parents' house, who were obsessed with this show, um, my mother and my sister were fortunate enough to win the lottery and actually see the show in the front row uh, during its Broadway run. I still distanced myself, and a little bit of background on me, I guess, in this case is when it comes to theater productions. I live in New York, so my mentality is always. I'll get around to seeing it at some point, mm-hmm. and I typically tend to avoid listening to an album uh, beforehand uh, because I want to have, like Michael said, that experience that's quite unlike any other when you see something on stage. Yep. Cut to 2016 and Next Best Picture launching, and a lot of things in my life have to be put on hold, and I don't, you know spend uh, enough time than getting out as much and i have not seen a uh i think i've seen one musical in the last four years uh and so yeah it, it like i i mean i i when i tell people that they're like shocked and amazed that i somehow avoided uh one of the biggest cultural phenomenons of the last decade but i have to say that other than seeing it On stage for the first time, completely blind and cold. Uh, Seeing it in this form, like this, for the first time was, I I can't say it was as good, but I can say that for people out there that are similar to me, this is a fantastic way. I mean, truly fantastic way to experience Hamilton, even more so than just listening to um, the recording from the original cast. Getting the visuals, getting the camera angles, the performances that are captured on camera. I mean, you also get the intricate uh, staging and direction, the blocking, the choreography. I do wish that there were some times where the camera maybe pulled back a little bit for some of these moments to, like, kind of just show us the grandeur um, from more of that audience perspective. So we could, like, take everything in that was happening and there are a few moments that where it does do that but then there were like some where the camera was like filming from like the corner or something and i'd be like ah no i kind of want to see like everything taken as a whole you know but listen little nitpicks like that aside this is just holy cow this is incredible (laughs) i mean i I get it i get it i understand (laughs) why people are obsessed with this. Guys, I I watched this for the first time earlier this week, and I've listened to the album now uh, on repeat. I can't listen to anything else Mm -hmm. because also, too, what's so great about this as a work of art is that it's just so incredibly dense. And you can tell that Lin-Manuel Miranda... I mean, he said as much, spent years researching this, writing certain songs, took him a year to write my shot. And I think that the quality of the work here shows in the effort uh, that he put into this because, I mean, some of the raps, the historical context, and let's not not forget this too. This could have been dry. I mean, like super dry as hell Mm -hmm. in terms of the history. But what makes this uh what makes this musical so great in my opinion is the level of characterization that is given to the principals and even some of the side characters such as like Angelica and i can't believe how much i mean this is an almost 3 hour long production there's definitely a lot of time that is given to Every character outside of Alexander Hamilton to really flesh them out, understand their motivations. And I think it just makes it so enriched as a result. It gives even the smallest performers so much to do. And and, and listen, even if they have a small role, I didn't know this until recently because I asked you guys, I was like, what's up with like David Diggs playing Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson? And it's like, you, you guys said it best to me, um, even though it might be confusing to some, uh, You know, it features David Diggs more in the show instead of him being off stage for a majority of it, and I gotta admit, I I love that.
4: <laughs> I think Matt, your reaction is, from what I've heard, so typical of people who see Hamilton for the first time. It's like, no, dude, it really does live up to the hype. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Like so many things in this life don't and you. it's so hard to conceive of something living up to the impossible levels of hype that Hamilton has received over the years. But no, seriously, it's genius.
0: And, you know, another thing that I uh, like so much about the show, other than the level of depth that is given to uh, the characters, is the variety in the songwriting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not just hip hop. There's <laughs> bops. <laughs> there are a number of bops in this show. There are uh, there's British influence in the King George sequences. Um, there, there's there's typical, you know, what's where I'm looking for here, like solo musical moments uh, given to Philip sue Yeah,
3: yep. yeah. Yeah, Eliza does not rap in the show. She is the singer.
0: There's just there's just a little something for everyone.
1: Yeah, there's it's it, it's amazing how well Lynn knows music, um, and not only Broadway music, and how he has applied these different styles of music to the characters. I mean, it's totally appropriate that the only Brit pop song in the whole thing is given to King George. Yeah, mm-hmm. and his, his character apart from the more driven rap and R&B music that are given to the characters in America. It, it, it just illuminates the characters even more. And then you also have
0: um, the brilliance of motifs and reoccurring just reoccurring moments that are established in Act 1 that come back in Act 2. Yeah. I mean, just even even the song, uh, one, of, one of my favorite songs in the whole thing, Wait For It, for uh, Leslie Odom Jr., and how that just completely crystallizes what kind of a man Aaron Burr is contrasted against Alexander Hamilton and how Alexander Hamilton is always going on about how he's not going to throw away his shot. And these phrases in these songs take on double meanings later on and play so well into the tragedy that is these two men's relationship and, It's a brilliant piece of storytelling. Listen, this sounds like a retread for people that are so familiar with the show. Guys, give me some slack here. I've never seen this show before. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I need to have this moment to say to things that you're all probably rolling your eyes at going, yeah, Matt,
1: this is this is this is Hamilton. Like, yeah, we get, you know.
4: Yeah. (laughs) Like, now.
1: But the decision to tell the story through Aaron Burr's eyes is just a genius move.
0: Well, like I said, it's like the show gives equal weight um, to not just Alexander Hamilton, but also Aaron Burr and Philippa Sue as Eliza. I mean, you would think that in a, um, a show that is based on history where men are at the forefront, that the women would get pushed aside. And the women in this show, I mean, they get some of
4: the best numbers. They rule. They Lin- do. I then Lin- Manuel has talked a lot about how, when he was writing this, he really wanted to have a more equity in terms of the the greatness of each of the roles. Like he said specifically, he needed to write a great song for Aaron Burr because that character was so important and because he wanted to highlight the voices of people in the story who are not Hamilton. <laughs> And so he wrote him The Room Where It Happens and Wait For It, which are, he admits, two of the best songs he's ever written. And if you follow him at all on Twitter yesterday when they were doing the watch-along for Hamilton, he said that he doesn't think he is ever going to top Satisfied, which is the song he wrote for yeah. Angelica, and given to Renee Lee Scoldsberry, who, if anyone ever deserved a Tony Award for one song... <laughs> it is Renee Sculthberry for singing "Satisfied." I mean, just like, ugh! and but yeah, like he was very conscious while writing about making these songs for these characters stand out.
2: Yeah, I think "Satisfied" is the best song in the whole show and that says a lot because there's so many wonderful songs It's just the depth of that i was talking to our friend cody derricks the other day from next best theater and he said in his opinion satisfied was the best storytelling song since at the ballet from a chorus line and honestly i'm inclined to agree just the creativity and the depth that it gets into and the way in which it's told it's just brilliantly breathtaking
3: yeah, I think Satisfied just completely takes the mask off of Angelica and lets the audience know exactly what she's thinking and exactly what she's going through, which is what's so beautiful about theater. It allows characters to do that. And again, if there is a, a Tony Award in a song, it is that sequence, especially from Helpless into Satisfied. Those are 20 minutes of really good theater, or 15 minutes. And back to release Ellis Goldsberry... I've always got the perception that she was, you know, the badass, like, energetic woman of the show, because Philippa Sue is a really subtle actress, and I think whenever I found out this film production was happening, I was like, oh my god, we're gonna see Pippa Soo do her thing, because it's really rare when we get subtlety in theater, and she is so good at being subtle, with especially with And we'll get to that later, but... Renee Lee Skullsbury did a film production before she filmed the final <laughs> performance of Rent. Yeah, And girl learned how to perform to the camera during that because here she was making really awesome, subtle moves that I was so shocked at because I'd never expected Angelica to have these little moments of just realization, of shock, of awe while also being extremely powerful. And it was really cool seeing her make these little tweaks and changes because performing for the stage and performing for a thousand people is very different. And performing to a camera.
0: I also want to echo if we're talking about performances that are captured up close with the camera here, uh, Leslie Odom Jr., who mm-hmm. um, I, I thought his performance was incredibly subtle mm. and definitely not an over-the-top performance that I was expecting, uh, especially because it was a Tony, you know, award-winning performance. Um, I was actually very, very surprised. At how much range of emotion he was able to capture on his face uh, during those sequences. And another person I think that it also benefited here uh, was Christopher Jackson as George Washington. Some of his uh, back and forths with Alexander Hamilton and just some of the intensity and mic drop moments there um, really, really, really lent itself well uh, to what Christopher Jackson is doing.
2: Christopher Jackson has the voice of an angel.
0: I mean, go
2: one last time. Oh my Lord.
4: <laughs>
2: yeah. I just want to cry yeah. during a final note. Like that man puts his heart and soul into it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: And also too, this got me really, really excited. Uh, and, and listen, like I said, I know I'm late to the party here, people, but it got, this got me really, really excited uh, to continue to see the rise of Anthony Ramos and uh, what he's going to do within yeah. the Heights next year. So,
2: yes. That was really cool to see, too. Yeah. yeah, that was one of the new things for me in seeing Hamilton this time around, because when I saw it on Broadway, Anthony Ramos was not in the cast. But obviously I knew who he was from like Hamilton Press and the album. But seeing his performance here on TV last night, it was the first time I was watching him as uh, John Lawrence and uh, Hamilton's son. So it, it was really magnificent to see his energy from four years ago. And now we know him as a name and he's going to be even more of a name when In the Heights opens next year. Uh, Just incredible performance. I wish he had been Tony nominated. And speaking of energy, uh, David Diggs. I mean, Jesus Christ. (laughs) Oh, my Lord. It would have been enough in Act One when he does Guns and Ships. So then he comes back as Thomas Jefferson to open up Act Two. Uh, I did kind of miss a bit of the
0: theatricality of Lafayette when he transitioned over to Jefferson a little bit.
1: You know, and and Jefferson is Jefferson is a show horse. Yeah. Yeah. It's a wonderful way to begin the act because it draws you in immediately uh, after intermission. But it's like, who is this
4: guy? It, it, it's such a brilliant way to, you know, present these characters. And if you track the way that the type of songs that each of the characters sing throughout the show, they they speak to the characters sort of background and upbringing. And like Jefferson has that, you know, it is these, you know, show pony kind of numbers and even when he's rapping it's a more um high-minded literary kind of thing than Hamilton's which is a little more down and dirty a lot of the time
1: it's fascinating to see what these particular actors have gone on to do uh Daveed mm-hmm. Diggs is seems to be everywhere these days yeah in, in the heights and then Renee Elise Goldsberry had that wonderful small part in Waves is the yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes. These, these folks can really do almost anything.
0: Leslie Odom Jr. was in um, last year's Harriet. Lin Manuel Miranda goes without saying. Uh, definitely a future egot. Uh, you know, is forthcoming. Jonathan Groff, mine hunter. Sue is the one that I. I noticed she's continuing to do obviously more work in theater, but um, she—I I haven't seen her do much on the screen.
3: She has a lot of stuff coming out in the next couple of months.
0: Okay, that I that makes say. sense. Like, she, i follow yeah. her on
3: Instagram. She's like, I filmed four things in four years, and within the next four months, they will all be released. I don't know what's <laughs> happening. <laughs> but going back to Ariana Dubose, she's—um—she played. <laughs> I have to. She she's. Like- <laughs> I have to she is in the ensemble in this show and she has a featured ensemble track I would say but again and she's also going to be in Steven Spielberg's West Side Story and she'll also be in the prom film but just going using her to harp on how amazing this ensemble is i would say musical theater oh, yes. ensemble members are one of the most talented one of the most hardworking individuals if you ever have the chance of meeting or seeing because what these guys do is they're dancing they're lifting they're singing they're transporting stuff and it's really amazing seeing these guys do their thing that you can't see on the cast album you don't see the dances you don't see you hear the background tracks but you just see them as background tracks so when you actually see these guys you know lifting and interpreting and really carrying numbers, it's really amazing to see.
0: And that actually brings me to uh, two points here that I thought was really incredible. And that is, uh, one, the utilization of the ensemble to uh, display the transportation of a bullet in slow motion was absolutely jaw
4: dropping to me. I love it. That was the moment when I saw it on Broadway that like truly broke my brain. I was sitting when that was happening. I was sitting there in the theater with my head in my hands, unable to process <laughs> what was going on. I was like, they really did that.
0: Oh. And then the second thing is I, I've, I've been reading a little bit online and I've seen some people say that the. Uh, set design for uh, Hamilton is obviously not as grandiose and bombastic as maybe some other musicals that are out there or as flashy but it's extremely well utilized and the turntable uh, that they use in the center of the stage, which is another element that obviously you don't double get from turntable. the cast yeah. recording. Oh, yeah. excuse me, double turntable.
3: <laughs> it's a whole nother level. It
0: it, it adds so much to the show in terms of blocking and choreography. And I would argue that, especially in, like, in those moments with The Bullet, for example, um, really, really adds a visual component that, yes, once again, seeing it in the theater, I'm sure is breathtaking, but also seeing it even here, uh, was equally as captivating because it adds some slow motion sequences and uh, the, going back in time like with Helpless and Satisfied and reversing everything. I mean, whew, whew, I'm getting chills just thinking about it. it. It's pretty, pretty incredible stuff.
2: Now, Matt, yeah. that turntable is a tribute to one of Lynn's favorite shows, Les Miserables. He loves Les Mis. And the original production of Les Mis, what made it so popular outside of... Uh, score and the cast and you know so many other elements was that it was done on a turntable the whole show was done that way and that was totally revolutionary back in the day and now it's being applied in this new way with a double turntable and it's just totally breathtaking to see how it you know to lack of a better word and pun intended here spins things along and you know you get to see so many different angles and ways that it's done and it goes different directions i am just in awe of this turntable
0: i have three Things um, I want to ask you all your opinions on because I see these three things being discussed a lot online and I want to get some uh, some feedback here. Number one, Lin-Manuel Miranda, the actor versus Lin-Manuel Miranda, the songwriter.
4: Um, I would say that he's a better songwriter than he is an actor, but I think that his acting is often underrated. Mm-hmm. Um, I It's very easy to think, like you know, he is—he writes for himself, or he only plays himself, and there's an element of that. But there are moments, particularly in this filmed version, that he has that just knocked me out. I agree. It's definitely like some
0: of the more of those emotional scenes.
4: Yeah, and it's not just the moments like my shot or. you know Yorktown or um hurricane which you know, uh, obviously those are great but yeah like in its quiet uptown uh yeah it's just heartbreaking and the most heartbreaking thing is you know watching him when Eliza you know, when Pippa Sue finally gives him her hand and forgives him for everything it's a really beautiful moment and he sells it so well. That and the world was wide enough.
0: Um I I think that I, I agree with you, Dan, in the sense that he plays to his own strengths because he is writing to himself and he knows what he can and can't do. So it's really well catered to that. Um He's just not, he's not a showstopper. Like some of the other performers are he's in also this
3: performing with Juilliard trained professionals here. Like, um, Leslie Odom Jr. Pippa Sue—they all came from Juilliard, and they're and everyone else is seasoned Broadway performers. And again, I do think his writing is better than his acting, but he's still a pretty good actor.
0: Yeah, he's and, not terrible. And then,
3: yeah, and when you do write, something I like this isn't a a hundred percent like interpret. This is an interpretation of Hamilton. It's not a hundred percent like we are making a carbon copy of the character. It is a character of Alexander Hamilton. And when you write something, it becomes so personal to you that I do think that sometimes the writer is sometimes one of the best people to portray it. And you can tell that this character means a lot to him. And you could tell that he is on stage a good amount of time. He's saying a lot of words and he's hitting (laughs) all the marks. And I think he deserved that Tony nom.
1: Yeah, I think that also he's a very generous writer uh, in that he just gives all of the best parts, all of the best lines to the other characters it's not yeah. created for a big Lin Manuel Miranda showcase. He is, yeah. um, in many ways, a member of the ensemble here, even though it's about him. And um, it's the, the the if anything, Hamilton is a little less interesting as, as a character as some of the other people he generously writes about. And also, too, you're talking about uh,
0: Lin Manuel Miranda being generous, and let's also keep in mind that. This could have easily have been an all white male cast at the end of the day. And that is not the musical nor the story that Lin-Manuel Miranda was setting out to write when he started this. And having it be a show for people of color and a show that will be continuously performed by people of color and keep people of color um, uh, employed on Broadway, hopefully for many, many years to come. Um, And really just honestly showing America as it is today, not like it was necessarily back then and having this whole idea of looking back on history uh, from the present is something that I think is another layer of genius that he brought to this and also too a great contribution to society. Like we talked about before, it's a immaculate piece of art uh,
2: because of everything that it has to contribute there. And five years later, you were seeing this concept replicated in different ways. Next spring, hopefully next spring, it might be delayed due to COVID, but Roundabout Theatre Company is doing a revival of one of my favorites, 1776, with an entirely female, non-binary, and genderqueer cast. Wow. Wow, that's a, yeah. so exciting. see Another American Revolutionary War musical done with this setting or with this type of cast. And I think that's such a brilliant idea. Like you look at it now and it's like, yeah, you know, we know this concept because we've seen it again, but to go back just to 2015, it's amazing to think how revolutionary it was back then, Mm. because you look Mm. at casting and it totally recontextualizes how you view these founding fathers. And we've been having a lot of conversations lately about the founding fathers and who they were and their principles. But I think having this cast of, made up of entirely people of color outside of King George, uh, you're able to look at these founding fathers and say, yes, I'm sure they were bad people with bad traits who did horrible things like enslaved and, you know, just, you know, like any complex person has horrible things in their lives, that they also built a country that we're all, you know, living in and benefiting from to some degree. And I think that's something to be celebrated and you could celebrate those accomplishments while viewing it through a new lens. And that's the beauty of Hamilton to me.
4: It's so easy to forget that the founding fathers at the time of the revolution were young. Like, they were 20s, 30s, and 40s. And I think one of the things that Hamilton does so brilliantly is fully contextualize them in terms of their youth and not just in terms of the casting of young energetic men of color and women of color but like also in terms of the the idiom of using hip-hop music like that it it speaks to the current moment of like that type of energy and youthfulness and restlessness that hip-hop has and bringing it to this time that is so far away and almost impossible for us to even imagine what it was like it makes it immediate and it makes it alive yeah (laughs) in a way that it usually is not and i have heard um so many criticisms of people being like oh why does it have to be hip-hop it's trying too hard to be relevant and popular and blah 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 and i'm like That's absolutely not what it's doing, and if you think that, then I really beg of you to actually watch the show to understand what you're talking about, because when you see it, that's not what it's doing at all. There is a purpose to this, and it becomes clear as you're watching it, and honestly, it's brilliant.
3: And I think it's also important that Lynn was casting people of color to give people of color these roles. Um, That's something that, like, Lynn's been doing before And In the Heights. Again, it's about his life, and those are all um, Latinx actors. And I was watching an interview with Leslie Odom Jr. during the Tony Award season that year, and he said black people of color and men of color don't get Tony nominations because there isn't a role. Yeah, Yeah, they can colorblind cast but that's because but at the end of the day those roles weren't made for black actors or black actresses and the fact that and you know the musical theater lexicon is so small when it comes to that part of diversity where it really is just colorblind casting for revivals mainly or the understudy is a person of color but the principal is a white person so the fact that we get to have a principal cast and principal ensemble that is all these that is all for people of color, it allows these actors who are so incredibly talented to have a spot.
0: Second point here. I've read a lot of people saying they prefer Act 1 to Act
2: 2. Thoughts?
3: I agree with that. I prefer Act 1 to Act 2.
2: In a lot of shows, you'll see that Act 1 is stronger, and then Act 2 has, like, you know, the 11 o'clock number and maybe one other big moment. But I think with with Hamilton both acts are equal. I think, you know, there's so much content going on in both and, you know, they don't save all the great songs for act one. I think there's just as much to grasp onto and love in the second half. I
0: think that act one has the more memorable numbers, but I think act two has the more emotional moments.
3: And it's, that's musical. Like act one is all about, like you know, you get hyped, yeah. you get excited. Then act two, that's when they punch you in the gut. But, um, <laughs> I personally think that, I drags a little bit in the middle of act two it's just not my style i'll lose interest a little bit i was i found myself checking my phone during some cabinet meetings but that's just me i know like i I know i'm definitely in the minority but i am definitely more entertained with act one i find in act two there might be a little too much going on
1: yeah i found that act two was more more emotional but it does lower the temperature a little bit uh, it does.
4: I think they're trying to pack a lot of history into
1: Act Two.
3: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: You know, it's uh, Act One is sh- is showy, and Act Two is we've got to get we've got to tie this all together, and um, and you lose sympathy for Hamilton. You know, the beginning of you know near the beginning of Act Two, and it's it's kind of tough that a lot of the fun of act one has gone out of it, but I think they really kind of had to deal with the emotional baggage that uh, gets accumulated throughout the uh, the story. And uh, luckily they have actors who could sell it. Uh, I do prefer, prefer act one because it's a lot more fun, but act two is very satisfying as well.
3: Yeah, act one is more linear in my opinion, and then act two we're dealing with politics plus character story. And yeah. people might be more interested in one over the other.
0: Yeah, I, I, I find that at two hours and 40 minutes long, uh, the pacing of this definitely is something that I've seen a lot of people talking about. That's why I asked the question uh, from you all. Um, I don't know if this is a popular belief, but I feel like Yorktown, The World Turned Upside Down, is such a banger of a number.
3: That's my favorite number. Yeah.
0: <laughs> what, and I'm just wondering here, wouldn't it make a ton of sense to end Act 1 on that moment so you can have then some of the other songs move over to Act 2?
3: That I agree with you 100%. I always low-key, and I said this on the next Fest Theater podcast, I always low-key wanted um, Yorktown to be the Act 1 closer because I think it is such a bang. But it's okay. Like I'll be okay without it. But um, I really do oh, think fine. that it's the best number when you put in the song, plus the dancing, plus the choreography and the costumes and everything put together in the lighting, it is the best number of the show.
4: But oh, come on,
2: nonstop. I mean, nonstop is good, don't get me wrong. Yeah. I, I love a musical that it starts intermission with all the characters, you know, going off in different spots, and you don't know where it's going to tie together in Act 2. Like when Angelica yeah. uh, goes somewhere, I'm not going to say where she goes, but... That's like a moment. It reminds me of everyone coming together for one day more in Les Mis. And it's like, okay, we got a lot going on in Act Two. And this sets it all up for us.
0: Another thing, too, then maybe about Act Two that I found on the viewing was even though the relationship between Hamilton and Burr is set up early and we know inevitably how it's going to end because the show tells us as much, I find that their relationship does kind of slog a little bit not act two and then all of a sudden it revs up super fast in the last what three yeah. songs
4: it, <laughs> if <laughs> if there's a problem with hamilton as a text and i'm not saying there is then that would be it, it, it like i said it's kind of genius but then it, it doesn't quite work because It takes us almost the whole show to realize that we're watching not just Hamilton's story, but also Burr's that we're watching parallel tragedies. And Burr is always running about, you know, two steps behind Hamilton, but he can't quite figure out how to change his own narrative. Mm -hmm. And, And it's, really cool piece of kind of meta-ish storytelling but I I, yeah it really ramps up the relationship between them in the back half of act two like the last quarter of the show and I it does miss I think a little of that uh, the emotional breakthrough that it could have had I guess
2: Look, I'm that person who, when I look at Yorktown and the world turned upside down, that's very exciting to me. But I also get more out of stuff like the Reynolds pamphlet. Like, that's something that I find totally engaging and engrossing. So I do get the divide between the two and how things slow down and it goes through a different pace. But as I'm watching it, if you take the intermission and then understand that it's going to be a different tone like a lot of shows are, I think it's still pretty accessible.
0: Yeah, my uh, roommate is watching it over two days. He watched uh, Act 1, uh, one-day intermission. We're going to watch Act 2 uh, after this recording, actually. I'm curious to see what his reaction is going to be to it because I've already warned him. I'm like, it's not as energetic as uh, Act 1 because there were a couple of numbers where when it ended, he turned to me, and he was like, okay. He's like, yeah. He's like, I, I feel it, you know? And I was like, yeah, yeah, Act 2, Um, you know, it's going to be more like, oh,
2: oh.
4: <laughs> <laughs> it's a thinker that act too <laughs> I like that depth,
2: though it's really you know something interesting to see in some musicals to go back to another filmed one Sunday in the park with George when they did that years ago and great performances act two might as well be a different show
4: well, well it is a different show like literally in that case yeah actors are the same <laughs> but uh, characters are different
2: in, um,
0: and then my last thing here uh, that I want to hear some thoughts on this is not something that I think you yeah, this is not something to my recollection that you actually hear um, on the cast album. And that is the final moment of the show. Eliza's gasp.
3: <laughs> yes.
0: And I know that there is no official answer uh, to what it exactly means. Lin-Manuel Miranda has remained tight lipped. About this thing, and you know, he he's welcomed different interpretations. I would love to uh, hear uh, some other readings of this from you guys.
3: Okay, I again, as I said, I love Philippa Sue. I think she is the perfect Eliza because again, it's so rare for subtlety in theater to exist. I don't know if I've ever seen it on stage personally, but I think she's one of those actors where instead of you know leaning back in your chair and just absorbing her greatness and filling up the seat, she makes the audience member leaning close to her Mm. because what she because even though she doesn't do that much she does so much with so little and you just have to like get everything that you want it's so amazing watching her just be and I always saw that Eliza is such a good person and I would never be as good of a human as that woman is and I always see it as um she after Hamilton meets his demise, she makes it her life's mission to make sure his story and his legacy gets told and at the end of her at the end of the song, um Hamilton guides her like she dies, I would say, and then Hamilton guides her to the front of the house and she sees that it's a packed house, which means her story and his story is being told, and she has succeeded
0: and let me just say for the record too that most musicals I feel typically will end on a joyous monumental medley of all the previous songs and moments smiles and great choreography and flashing lights and boom and then it all ends and the audience erupts in applause this does not do that and oh my god did it did it affect me so and the extra added layer of these different interpretations of what Philip is doing here and what that moment means Um, only contributes to the argument that we've been making that it's not even really an argument at this point. It's like an undisputable fact that Hamilton is a great work of art. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Tom, curious to hear your uh, reading on that moment.
1: That moment uh, has really stuck with me. It's as if it's, it's almost really breaking the fourth wall because you can see that she sees us and it brings us closer to her. And uh, that kind of satisfaction that Eliza must have in seeing his story being seen by so many people, and that her work on his legacy uh, has come to pass, and I just treasure that moment.
4: Dan, so for me, it's for me, it's brilliant because it's kind of weaponizing. Like Lauren was talking about, that Philippa Su's ability to sort of draw you in and make you lean closer. And to end on this, on that note, on this, like, (sighs) I don't even know what to call the sound that she emits from her vocal cords in that moment because no word kind of feels like it fits properly. Um, But like you are, and through that whole, the, that final uh, number who lives, who dies, who tells your story, it ends on such a quiet note. And I just like the, those back, the background voices in the ensemble, just almost whispering that time over and over again when you know that's a big theme throughout the show and how he hamilton is constantly doing things like he's running out of time and now that he has no time left but there is also so much time between when he dies and the present day it it, it's really like that is something that always hits hard for me and then eliza comes on stage and emits this sound and you're leaning in and it kind of blows you back in your seat a bit and for me it's just like a moment that that seals the emotional deal of the show that sort of like captures the whole experience of it in one gesture you know this show is a shout to people to listen and wake up and learn from the past and move forward with that knowledge. And that's what Eliza does in her later years. So it's sort of like pushing the audience out into the world changed for having seen this.
0: Okay.
2: All right, Michael. So when I saw Hamilton on stage, the moment when Eliza gives the gasp and sees the audience, That was clearer then because you could tell that she was looking at us. Had I seen this on film first, I would have probably thought that it was just her reacting to the death of her husband and maybe, you know, carrying on the weight of his legacy. But I think when you're in the crowd with the theater, that moment really, you know, hits closer to home more. But, you know, it's great to have that gasp in that moment on film. Like I said, lightning in a bottle. It's there for us to see going on now. Yeah.
3: As I and so many people say, there's a reason it's called Hamilton and not Alexander Hamilton.
0: Mm-hmm. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. 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 Okay. okay, final thoughts on the show or movie in this case. Uh, Michael, final thoughts.
2: You know, there's nothing really else I can say about Hamilton as a property that hasn't already been expressed by someone else in the past five years. And just to plug MBT, I thought you guys did a really, really phenomenal job on that episode talking about
0: the (laughs) show. And I highly (laughs) urge all of our listeners to listen to that as well as a companion piece to this.
2: Thank you. Yeah. And when I say that, I don't mean that I have nothing else to say about it. There's just so much conversation around it. You don't know what points have already been exhausted by someone else. And that's why there's so much great writing out there and so many other great podcasts. I'm sure that talk about Hamilton. Uh, It's a sensation. It's a sensation for a reason. You can see why this show turned the theater industry upside down. And I hope we get to experience more art like this in years to come. It's one of the greatest things I've ever seen on a stage and to have that energy available with the original cast forever on Disney+, Plus and however else they're going to release it someday. It, it's just a wonderful thing. So I think this is one of, you know, the most impressive live recordings I've ever seen, and just a excellent way to spend your time at home over the 4th of July weekend. It's, it's a masterpiece. I don't have any other word for it. Okay. All right. Lauren?
3: Hamilton's a really great piece of theater, and I'm so glad it's been captured like this. I will like to mention that um, Lynn does do other tributes to theater where in the first number they all stand in the line, which is much like a chorus line. Mm-hmm. And then I also love how in the opening number it kind of serves as a prologue, which is a callback to old ancient theater, which is going all the way back to, you know, ancient Greco-Roman theater and also ancient and Shakespeare, where they literally tell you the story and you decide if you want to stay or if you want to go. Because in the opening number they say everything that's going to happen and the actors aren't really in their costumes yet. They're just in white except for Leslie and Lynn, and I think that's an awesome, you know, playback to the prologues of, you know, great Shakespearean tragedy. So I loved that little nod to it. And I think it's great, and I think it's so beautiful when the creative team realizes that, you know, some most people aren't going to be privileged enough to see this Show whether it's on Broadway in the West End, in Chicago on tour, because they just economically can't, or they're just nowhere near it. So I'm really excited and glad, and really happy that people you know all over the world can see theater and inspire little kids and adults this amazing art form and get them to write and get them to perform. And I miss Broadway so much, and it makes me miss it. And if it- you guys can just like give a little shout-out to these guys because all of these people you just saw on stage and all these people that are behind the stage are unemployed until January of 2029, which is Mm -hmm. when hopefully Broadway will open. So if you could give them some love because they're really feeling the heat, especially in New York City, that Rent is not cheap, guys.
2: Lauren, I'm glad that you gave the shout-out to other musicals and the little references thrown out there. Of course, there's Mm -hmm. a chorus line. But there are little lines that if you blink, you'll miss them. But there's one about uh, George Washington. They go, Now I'm the model the model of a modern major general from Parks Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but then you also get Sit Down, John, of course, from 1776. You got to be carefully taught from South Pacific. Nobody needs to know from the last five years. There's even a Parks and Rec reference thrown out in one of the songs. I forget exactly where it is, but I remember. Yeah, Lynn
3: is it. such a nerd. <laughs> it's Thanks great. God. Yeah.
2: <laughs> And also, too, I mean, you know, the
0: hip hop uh, references as well. Um, you know, even just yeah. taking um, like inspiration from Biggie and a bunch of other uh, rappers and incorporating it into the show. I mean, it's, oh, I, I can't even think of more
2: superlatives to uh, shower upon uh, this show at this point. Oh, here it's in Your Obedient Servant, the uh, Leslie Nope reference. A line from the song, here's an itemized list of 30 years of disagreements as an homage to Leslie Note from Parks and Rec.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Tom O'Brien, final thoughts.
1: It was a very different experience seeing it again. Um, When I first saw it, uh, it was in the Obama era when we were filled with joy and the real hope of possibilities. And now seeing it in the Trump years, Hamilton seems to me more of a life preserver, you know, see what we were and what we can be again. We're not, that, we're not there now, but it has been done before, back in the 1770s, and America is resilient enough to be able to do it again. It was a totally different way of looking at it, but that's how Hamilton speaks to whatever time it's in. And um, I'm just grateful it's there. Immigrants, we get the job done.
4: Yeah. Mm-hmm. To quote a
0: line from the show. Exactly. All right, Dan Bear, final thoughts.
4: I look the the show is the show, and the show is brilliant. Um, I feel like we almost did the filming of it a disservice by not really talking about it too much. But like, I just want to. I have to shut out the the direction by Tommy kale and the cinematography by Declan Quinn, it, it's very, very strong. And they, it's not just that they like, you know, set up some cameras and shot it. They actually thought about each moment of the show, what that moment is trying to do. Where's the best place to view that moment from. and, How do we shoot it to make it the most impactful it can possibly be? There is a moment in um, Act 2 where I, when I saw it on stage, I had no clue that a certain character wearing red was anywhere on stage. And then from the angle that they chose to shot it at, you can see that not only is this person on stage, but that Hamilton is looking directly at them in a very key moment for that character. And it it it's not just a film version of the stage show. This is the stage show amplified and taken up to eleven through the power of film. And that to me is what makes it a great piece on its own.
0: I, I, I definitely like agree with you that if they didn't have those close-ups and get the camera actually on the stage for certain moments um, when they did the, the closed uh, audience um, uh, performances – I, I don't know if I would agree with you, Dan, but I do agree with you um, in that because they have those moments, it does help to separate it from mm-hmm. other uh, live recordings and yeah. also, too, adds a lot more to separate this and make it its own unique experience in that way. Um, when I first watched it, I originally gave it um, an 8 out of 10, albeit a very strong 8 out of 10, uh, mainly because of two reasons, and that was... um. You know, I thought that that there were maybe certain limitations with the camera that they had uh, when filming the live performances. That you know, like I mentioned earlier, I wish they had gotten a different angle to capture some more of the grandeur of this of the choreography yeah, or whatever I mean. it was. But um, that coupled along with some of the pacing. Uh, remember, this is you know it's pretty pretty lengthy, two hours and forty minutes long. But I. Watched it a second time, and I've uh, now boosted my uh, ranking up to a 9 out of 10 uh, since then. Because I think at the end of the day, nitpicks aside, uh, the show is the show. And the show itself is a 10 out of 10. And it's so, so Mm -hmm. strong. And even though I will probably never really consider this a... And this is me speaking personally, I'll, I'll never really consider this to be a film film, like on the same level as 2002's Chicago or 2016's La La Land. I enjoyed the hell out of it, and I highly, highly highly recommend every person from every walk of life to also experience it as well, even if it's not um, that kind of a film. It's 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 something that is unique. It's uh, an experience unto itself. It's it's Hamilton. Lauren,
2: great out of 10.
3: I'm also going to give it a nine out of 10.
2: Okay. Michael, I'm going full 10. I think it works as its own film because of what Tommy Kale and his production team are doing on stage. But it just reminded me of that same energy of seeing it. On stage, which to me is just so rare for these filmed experiences. Even something as great as Sunday in the Park with George or Into the Woods, they're wonderful experiences, but you only get so much out of it. This was totally fresh and unique and daring, and made me want to run back to the theater the second they open and it's safe to go. Dan
4: Bear, um, I'm I'm with you, Matt. I'm a nine. I think that Hamilton, as a piece, is a ten out of ten. I think the movies the film version of it is a 9 I, I think there are some moments I, 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 I noted two moments where I thought they didn't quite capture what the direction on stage was trying to do as well as they could have but that's two moments in a 2 hour and 40 minute thing that you're watching and that seems like the nitpickiest of nitpicks if yeah. I'm being honest so yeah, it it's it's a nine. Tom, uh, I was
1: expecting because I, I also think that it, the show was a ten out of ten. Uh, dropping it back to nine before having seen it because uh, it's just not the same experience. But I tell you, I'm just so impressed with Tommy Kail's direction. Full ten for me.
0: Okay. And in a great article that was written by uh, Will Mavity, and he's had to definitely uh, defend it a lot uh, to a bunch of people. Hamilton, the film for 2020, is eligible for the Oscars. It's eligible by the Academy's own ruling, especially their ruling of a planned theatrical release despite it being released on a streaming service. And there's also precedent, too, with someone like James Whitmore, for example, receiving an Oscar nomination for Give Him Hell, Harry, in what was also a film stage production. So, technically speaking, yes. Hamilton uh, can contend and it can get Oscar nominations. And once again, I think Will did a really, really great job of breaking down uh, the categories where he thinks it uh, stands the best chance. He talked about acting. He talked about costume, um, uh, sound, uh, and even cinematography as well. So, you know, uh, what what, what do you guys think about um, Hamilton being a potential Oscar player this year? What is it? What is it all? How's it going to play out? Because we're living in very uncertain and unusual times where it feels like anything can
2: happen. I do think it's going to show up in some capacity. I don't know what exactly, but I think just based on the reactions I was seeing of people watching it last night, and we'll continue to watch it over the holiday and through the rest of the year as we social distance and stay at home, it'll be remembered. It's going to be a thing that people return to on Disney+. Plus. So that's not to say it's going to be in best picture necessarily, but I think Stuff like sound mixing or costume design are very much in the mix.
3: I'll be negative, and I really don't want it to be nominated. I just don't think it's it's not a film. I don't see it's not like it was something that where you know the actors were cast just to film this like the lamest anniversary concert or the Phantom anniversary concert or even the Newsies production where they literally hired actors, made costumes, changed a couple things, and they filmed it just for this. This is a piece that was originally made for theater using original stuff. So I don't think it's the same.
0: And they won the Tony awards that they rightfully deserved for doing it in that medium. Well, it it didn't win everything.
3: It basically did. So just share the wealth for the film. It's not like that. I agree with Matt. It's not La La Land. It's not the adaptation of, you know, Chicago. If it was like a film version of Chicago and then Chicago, the film, those are two separate things. You know, we're literally putting cameras in front of the stage and we're filming the staged version of the show when the Hamilton film happens. Because I'm pretty sure they'll make a movie out of this eventually. That's the movie. It's not like we're putting. It's uh, we're not comparing. No, something where you know they filmed in the heights and then we also have an in the heights movie or the lame is concert versus the lame is movie. Those are they're two different things. They're two different mediums. So I. Don't cons- I wouldn't consider it. Yes, it's technically allowed to, but I I wouldn't. It's just it's not the same.
0: I I I I, I agree with Florin. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I don't I don't disagree. I'll say that. <laughs> would it be cool to happen?
0: Yeah, I I mean it would be cool, and I kind of want to see it, uh, just for the sake of the novelty of it all and like the WTF ness of it all. But at the same time i think that if there is an eventual actual real film even if it's three hours long or whatever it is and yeah it may not include this same cast uh for obvious reasons but if that movie gets released that is the one that should be i think competing for oscars i i I actually was curious um this this can't contend for any Emmys in the same way that uh, some of the other musical productions have gotten uh, Emmy uh, recognition lately, right?
3: I'm pretty sure they have an Emmy. Hmm. No, they win Emmys for live performances on, like, GMA or something, and I'm pretty sure they have something.
1: Yeah. And this this film was released after the eligibility period. So. Oh, so either way. Okay. Yeah. Um, that that makes have sense. To be
4: next year. So.
1: Yeah. yeah. My, my feeling is that... Uh, the things that were designed for the stage, for example, the costumes, I don't think should be considered. Uh, but things that are specific on the film, the sound mixing, the direction, mm-hmm. I think that is. Cinematography editing. Yeah, I think that's a legit thing if it has to do with the, the film and only the film.
4: What about the performances? No. <laughs> yes. I would love to see. You, Lauren, you were just there. talking about how they recalibrated those performances for screen, which but to I me feel
3: like when it. the film gets made, this is double dipping. I don't think it's fair. I really don't. <laughs> I know I make no sense, but I really see it as the it's the it's the film production. It's not like they casted these guys and say, okay, we're going to make this. It's not like it's the fandom thing where they cast, you know, Ramin Kamlo and Sierra Boggs. They're like, okay, we're going to film this, and then we're going to put it in the movie theater. They weren't originally oh. doing the show at the time. Like, it was... So,
4: hold on. you think that the Phantom Anniversary concert should be con- would be considered for the Oscars, but this wouldn't?
3: Yeah, because it's different. They're not made for the same thing. I feel like this is the entire Broadway production, and they're putting professional cameras in it. And I feel like that this film, well, the Hamilton film... Will eventually be made. And I feel like it's double dipping if you're nominating both of them.
1: Yeah, but double dipping goes on all the time. I mean a number uh, of people doesn't
3: mean it's right. To, no, I know, but a lot of people
1: <laughs> who are close to Egot. won their egot, you know, got, got as far as they did because they won the yeah. Tony and then they went on today's show to sing a song from it. And they got And it let's
0: and also be completely honest here. Critics are not gonna vote for this. They're just not.
4: It's not happening. It's not happening. Had it well, been released, be violent, like, I'll tell you that right now uh, on July 4th. So it's going to be something that we're talking
0: about right now in the moment. And by the time we get to award season, which is by far the longest award season that we're ever going to experience for the record, it's not going to be brought back up again in the conversation.
3: I see Disney pushing yeah.
0: this. I see them pushing it if their other contenders uh, all fall by the wayside and don't get critically well received because then they have nothing else left. And this is an option.
1: Yeah.
2: Maybe yeah, we'll be feeling I, especially patriotic in the first
0: quarter of next year. And maybe. To it. I mean, you know what, Michael? Maybe. In all honesty, we did talk about how the election could potentially uh, bring about a very, very interesting type of best picture uh, winner or contender. And who the hell knows? Maybe right, yeah. Hamilton is that beloved. I mean, you, know? you know, it would
2: not be out of the ordinary. The musical that showed us a better future when we were all staying at home. You know, you have the movie released at home and then a potential, you know, election that changes the game. There you have it. That's a Best Picture winner that defines a past year in cinema.
0: But that's also taking into account nothing else that comes out after this. That is obviously going to be at the forefront of people's minds more while this gets pushed to the back. Right now, today, as of this recording, I agree with you, but
4: there's still a lot
0: of time left.
4: Yeah. if, if Had it come out later in the year than July... Maybe we would be talking about it as a potential Oscar contender, but as it stands right now, it's not fucking happening. Yeah. Sorry, and it has <laughs> like it's just people. not. Yeah, and and, and there's it's just of- not. And look, I love it, but it's not happening.
1: Yeah, there's a legit film musical coming out with West Side Story that is very much the kind of film musical that Academy voters may be more comfortable with. As much as they love this, this might seem like a hybrid to them. So yeah.
0: OK, uh, that'll do it for our discussion here on Hamilton uh, on the next Best Picture podcast. Michael, tell everyone where they can find you on the
2: Internet. You can find me on Twitter at mschwartz95. Dan Bear.
4: You can find me on Twitter at Dance and Dan on film. Tom O'Brien.
1: I'm on Twitter at Thomas E. O'Brien.
4: And Lauren Lemagna. La
3: You can find me at the Twitter at Lauren Lamango.
0: And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of Hamilton here on the Next Best Picture Podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher Tune and Player FM, ACast Castbox, also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For one dollar minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us, including some of the next best theater episodes that we talked about here even though the Hamilton one uh, was released complimentary in full for you all to listen to and once again like I said I highly recommend you all check that episode out um, after viewing this because they definitely went into great uh, detailed talks about the stage uh, musical and it was a really really great discussion thank you so much for listening as always we shall see you all next time